I don't care. I don't need a seconder. My own opinion is enough for me, and I claim the right to have it defended against any consensus, any majority, anywhere, any place, any time. Anyone who disagrees with this can pick a number, get online, and kiss my ass. No representation is made that the quality of legal services to be performed are greater than the legal services performed by other lawyers. You found the Backstory Podcast. I'm Harry Steele, Backwood Southern Lawyer. I got my partners with me today. How are things in Fairhope, Mr. Rip? Oh, very good, very good. Uh, still warm, politically fixing to get very hot. And uh, how are things in Texas, Reigns? Uh, it's, uh, it ain't the best day here in Texas, but it ain't the worst either. We're, uh, we're staying with the lockdown. I feel like... Uh, one of those, one of those people, you know, that perennially lives on the uh, "I told you so" bandwagon. So, yeah, we kind of told them so, but that doesn't help anybody. No, nah, it really doesn't. It helps me. I sleep better. I wish I'd make this headache go away, but other than that, you know. All right, y'all seeing these COVID numbers here? Yep, thirty-three thousand. In Alabama, uh, looks like we're up to over a thousand cases a day. Yep, most that of that's what that Montgomery. Most of that's where Harry. It's it's across the it's across the state, Paul. I mean, it, it, it would be hard for me to nail it down. I thought Montgomery was having the worst go at it right now. Well, and when we get to this map here, it might be a little more telling. You, know, you guys seeing that? Um, 9,679,000 cases worldwide, 2,444,488 cases in the U.S. Jesus. Over. Yeah. Wow. 125,000 people. My God. And uh, if you see the critical trend here is going nowhere but up. So it's over here you can see Los Angeles, Cook County, which is uh, Chicago, Queens, Kings, the Bronx, Suffolk County, Westchester, Miami-Dade, Harris. That's Houston, Reigns. That's right. You guys, you guys are sucking. Yeah, we're we're absolutely just shit on here. Well, the the U.S. is now number one in COVID, uh, and also number one in not, you know, handling it in any way or the right way. I I don't really know what's fixing to happen the way things are going now. To tell you the truth, uh, uh, you got something else on that, Harry? I was going to let you know about that Lanyap article. Oh, go for it. Uh, in Lanyap, which I'm happy to report looks like Lanyap is back on their feet again. They got all types of ads on there. You know, it's always a good sign when you see that shoe station ad in lawyers, right? <laughs> so they've come back, so everything ought to be all right. But good news, bad news, COVID-19 cases stagnate despite decline in local deaths. Jason Johnson and Gabe Times with Lanyap. Uh, the... Um, uh, one of the things they they couldn't figure out is why there was such a low uh, 
of total cases in Baldwin County, and they discuss that and everything. And I, I thought that was interesting because my theory is my theory is this: first of all, everybody did comply when we first locked down in this area. Then the second thing is they canceled the um, arts and crafts show, which was a very good call by the mayor. You know, the council was wanting to take a chance. But uh, so they canceled that. Then there were sporting events and big events around here that were canceled. And we pretty much social distance in our lives alone in Baldwin County. So I think that's one of the main reasons we've been so lucky is we don't have any hardcore dense areas. But um, I, I think we're being very short sighted if we don't take it serious and realize just how lucky we are, you know. But um uh, because we might be behind, uh, you know, by a week or two of showing even more cases. So keep your fingers crossed. You know, they sent out a notice in Fairhope. One employee tested positive for COVID and uh, believe that was in the, in the city council meeting. And I went to the work session and there was very little on the agenda. So I left before the council meeting, thank God. But I can assure you, I'll be wearing my mask a little bit more diligently. And um, but check out that article, "Good News, Bad News." That'll bring you up to date on that and land yet as far as the COVID stuff in Baldwin County and Mobile. And also, uh, I think it's a very good call that uh, they canceled the fireworks for Fairhope. And then I saw today that they canceled it for Mobile. And I know that might not be very popular, and that's hard for mayors to make those kind of decisions, but those are the responsible decisions to make because if you let the general public out there, they're not, they're not going to abide by this social distancing and masks, you know? Yeah, because we're, we're the weirdos in town that wear our mask around. Yep. Right. So, right. Uh, I'm going to switch gears. Uh, I'm going to throw something on Reigns. Um, so, Reigns, you'll notice behind me, I have uh, the flag of the state of Alabama. And yep. um, so let's let's talk a little bit about the Mississippi state flag. Yeah. It's a uh, – it is a giant billboard to let everyone, not just in this country know, but to let the world know that the overwhelming majority of the state of Mississippi still supports the Confederacy and all of the garbage that comes with it. And it's a shameful thing. And it's been changed a long time ago. And again, I'll tell you, I'm not a Johnny-come-lately to this thing. I've been actively working since 1992 to get the state flag changed and it's a it just speaks to the entire dogma that Mississippi has always wanted Puerto Rico to be a state so it won't be the last place that so have you seen this design before right here? Yeah. 
and, and is that, that it says what was proposed in 2001 and then there was a 2014 hospitality flag and changing right. the slogan to uh, history, hope, and hospitality. How about just hope and hospitality? I've not, I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan of the history of the state of Mississippi. Not the past, not the recent past, and hell, not even now. So, it needs to be changed. It needs to come down. And if you want a 15 minute diatribe on why i'll be happy to indulge you let's discuss instead okay i'm i I had no expectations of this segment i just i figured i knew that you had been an advocate and that you had some deep perspective on it Uh, oh you're talking about flags uh i missed the last part of the news conference but i i saw a blip about uh, possibly a 51st state. What are they talking about? Puerto Rico reigns? Yeah, that's that's the old joke. That, there used to be a bumper sticker we had in Mississippi that was, you know, Puerto Rico for 51 because we didn't want to be last place anymore. And well, no, I mean, I heard this on national news tonight. Did you really? Well, it's, it's yeah. a, you know, it's, uh, they've been pushing people in the in the lobby have been pushing for puerto rico as a state for the last 40 years oh yeah 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 and if for no other reason just acknowledge that as what it is and uh you know cue them up to be a little get a little more social development and our infrastructural development in that in that in that particular island and i think it's a great idea i've always thought it was a great idea and if for no other reason mississippi won't be last place in education or anything like that anymore which it well, still is i liked uh i like puerto rico but the puerto rican islands we went to calabra and uh if you're going to go to puerto rico be sure you go to one of those off islands there absolutely fantastic yeah it's you know it's, it's a you know it's a beautiful country with a lot of beautiful things and a lot of beautiful people, and, yeah. and it needs to be recognized for what it is. We've had Puerto Ricans serving in the armed forces. We've had Puerto Ricans become statesmen. Oh, yeah. We've had Puerto Ricans do all kind of stuff for this country as a territory. And why they haven't been admitted as a state is, well, I think in this day and age, and with what we've seen over the last year, fairly obvious. But I still advocate for it. And uh, I, I think it's a great idea. We had quite a few Puerto Ricans in the uh, in the Marine Corps, and uh, getting back on the flag thing too is uh, Rob Holbert, editor of Laniap, wrote an article on Time his opinion the on the flag too. Yeah, so people might want to read that. So, Lorraine's, I looked high and low for any kind of rebel anything in my house, and. I have a bumper sticker. I mean, a, a license plate that's never been out of the wrapper. I guess that's the actual flag of the Confederacy. Yeah, and uh, and and also my Baldwin County seal print, I believe, has uh, the Confederate flag on it. That's that's it. The flag bait is to me almost moot at this point. It's it's a the point I made many years ago when I still lived in Mississippi and I espoused this point in letters to the editor and in, in a, a couple of appearances televised 
if you weren't out there in the 1960s tearing that damn, damn rebel flag out of white supremacists, the Klan's hands, skinheads' hands, everything else, and talking about, hey, you can't use that as a symbol of hate because it's a symbol of heritage. You don't get to say that now. Yeah, completely and totally agree. It's been you know, it, it, it's been appropriated by the white supremacists, and we don't need it. They, you they, know, it's, it's they've taken it over. It, we they, the uh, it is a banner veterans let them have uh, it, and and it's theirs, and they can have they, it. They did. They didn't do anything about it. There weren't the sons. You know, the sons of the Confederacy weren't up there. The the my my old history professor from USM, rest his soul. Uh, wasn't up there tearing it out of their hands and saying, no, you can't. This is about the military. This is about heritage in this country. This isn't about, no, none of that. None of that ever took place. Right. It was all, you know what? We're just going to let it go. And now it's been co-opted. Not even now, 30, 40 years ago, it was co-opted. 50 years ago, a hundred years ago, it was co-opted. And no one said anything about it then. So you don't get to say anything about it now. And if you hold up the banner that says, you know what, this is about heritage and not hate. I'm sorry, pal, you're wrong. It's about hate. And it mm -hmm. needs to go. And the more you wave it, the more you telegraph and telegram to everybody in this country exactly how you feel. Yeah. All right. So I want y'all to watch this with me, okay? Individually. Mm -hmm. And I was telling you, I'm big on values and I feel them deteriorating across the board. Um, how someone like me, how can I do better as a human? How can I do better as a man? How can I do better as a white man? That's powerful. That's how you put me on the spot. I'm gonna be honest with you because that's what we're here for. Yeah. To have uncomfortable conversations. You have to acknowledge that there's a problem yes. so that you can take more ownership for the problem. The first step to acknowledging it is sitting in this chair right here across from a black man and being like, okay, I may not be talking about you, Emmanuel Acho, but I may be talking about people who look like you. Individually, you have to acknowledge implicit bias. You have to acknowledge that you'll see a black man and for whatever reason, you will view them more of a threat than you will a white man, probably because society told you to. You have to acknowledge that um, if there are two people with equal resumes, studies show that the person with the white sounding name is twice as likely to get a call back as a person with a black sounding name. You're a very successful man who probably has several people under you. Are you a part of that statistical problem? Mm -hmm. Are you looking at a resume saying, ah, man, nah, they sound a little too hood for me. You know, so mm -hmm. I think individually, we must each fix the problem because I believe that the individuals, they affect the houses and the houses, they affect the cities and the cities affect the states and the states yes. affect the, the nation, nation and the, the nation, nation affects, affects the, the continents. Yes, exactly. So individually, you have to acknowledge maybe I do have a bias right. and fix it. Yep. Is Black Lives Matter a banner for now? Yes. But is it a banner that is a bridge? Do you think to take us to, oh, when we see Black Lives Matter and we understand that and it's all agreed on, then we can wave mm -hmm. the flag of All Lives Matter, but I not think, until. I think it's not until. For example, right now we are facing the world's greatest pandemic since the Spanish flu. We all know that. Coronavirus, COVID-19. Right now we're focused on finding a remedy for that 
illness. We're focused on finding a remedy for that strain mm. of the flu. That's not to say that cancer doesn't matter. It's not to say that HIV doesn't matter. It's not to say that ALS doesn't matter. All those things still matter. But right now, the coronavirus is killing people. And, and so in the same token, Matthew, that's what I propose is that once we get these black lives that are being ended unjustly handled by the grace of God, if we can get those handled mm -hmm. through conversations like these, and I hope that y'all at, at, at home are having, then we can be at a point to focus on everything else. So you get the gist of it? Uh, I'm getting a lot of feedback. Let's, let's talk about banners for a minute. Okay. The Black Lives Matter brand. All right. I'll call it a banner because you'll get what I'm saying in just a second. The Black Lives Matter banner has been adamant about resisting violence, pushing back on the looting and agitation and everything else. They've been adamant about that because they see the parallels and they understand the pragmatism of the Confederate flag. They don't want to see 20 years down the road the, the, the leaders of this movement, the true leaders of this movement, understand the historical, sociological investiture of protecting the banner and not allowing it to be co-opted. You don't get to wave a Black Lives Matter banner and go out there and loot a shoe store. You don't get to wave a Black Lives Matter banner and go out there and light a target on fire. We're against that. And we're not going to allow that to happen. And we're going to work tirelessly to make sure that it doesn't. That's a big difference between that banner and the Confederate flag. Nobody ever worked really hard and said, we're not going to allow this to be used as a symbol of hate. Nobody ever stepped out and said, you know what, as a leader, I want to make sure that everyone understands that the message we're trying to send is one of heritage and history. Black Lives Matter is doing that. They want to be on the right side of things. They want to make sure that their message is shown. So, Rain, understood for generations. Have you ever heard of positional asphyxiation? Yes. Okay, you put enough pressure on somebody's rib cage to the point where they're diaphragm can expand and contract and they asphyxiate correct we were taught that many years ago okay so um i want you to watch a video with me where there was no intent at all on the on the part of the police to cause harm to this person okay You're gonna kill me! You're gonna kill me! Yeah. Now they held this camera footage for three years until the Dallas News sued Tony. him. Tony! Tony! Relax, relax, Tony!
count. 13 minutes. All right. Hey, you're okay. Okay. You're okay. <laughs> Yacht club in Rockwall. That's pretty okay. funny. Please let me go, please. Hey, Tony. We're trying to help go. you out, man. Just relax. <laughs> I'm going to try to change the post. Okay. That way we don't have to work. Notice the position he's in. Both knees. Everybody wants his up. Higher body weight. Ah. So, Reigns, you're from Mississippi. You know what Whitfield is? Very familiar with Whitfield. Uh, that's like our Bryce up in in Tuscaloosa or down here. It was Cersei. So, they're the talking about the hospital for the criminally insane. Yeah. Right. So, they're, they're saying they're going to give him the Whitfield cocktail, in other words. Yeah. Green Oaks cocktail special? Yeah. It is. You think they know this guy's about to die? Wow. They don't have any idea. Yeah. I wonder if it's going to take Lanyap that long to get that video from Hoss Max. So if he wasn't good and dead at this point, they give him ketamine instead of it. Tony! Tony! Back to school! Wake up! <laughs> I don't want to go to school, huh? Stop the mess, huh? First day, you can't be late. Tony. Good bunch of new shoes for the first day of school, come on. Made breakfast, grab eggs, favorite. What, waffles? Waffles. Fruity, tooty, fruity waffles. Let me check his uh, vitals before I administer this. I think this. he's out cold now. Yeah, Sedative. Yeah, who cares? Yeah, oh, he's got quiet. All of a sudden, just... Whoop. The dark here? Oh, there he comes. Hey, Sounds like he was snoring. Is that dark here? Yep.
will be uh, the uh, Green Oaks cocktail, like uh, a <laughs> Yep. I don't think he did. Is he breathing? Hope I didn't kill him. Oh, that's weird shit. <laughs> 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 I love how we became a weed. Yeah. We ain't friends. <laughs> exactly. Burn gun. Did you hear what he said? Yeah, no, wait, wait for range the paramedic. You'll see Rain's uh, paramedic right here in the present. He's not breathing? Nope. Oh, shit. Fire. Oh. I ain't breathing, bro. We all put on some gloves when he's chest compression. Yeah. Oh, Seeing as you killed him and all. He so he was fighting and then just gave up. Hey, uh, I've got her, his mom on the phone and she knows all this stuff. He's dead. He what? He's dead. Well, um... You seen enough? Yeah. I saw too much. Okay, so that was 2016. Um, does it matter that he was white and from a rich neighborhood and he called the cops himself because he got off his meds and did some cocaine? It, it's, it's the lack of training. These guys had no idea they were killing this man. None. No intent whatsoever in that video. The police shouldn't have been the ones to respond. Let me tell y'all about Miss Wendy. I'm not going to give you a whole lot of specifics because she's a mother of a dear friend of mine. But uh, I'll tell y'all about Miss Wendy. Miss Wendy's a sweet old woman. She's retired now, but uh, she was a supervising nurse for the psych ward at a county hospital in Mississippi. Miss Wendy is, goes to church every Sunday, uh, special, whatever the Protestant mass they do on Wednesdays, uh, Protestant service they do on Wednesdays. Miss Wendy's about 5'3", maybe 115 pounds soaking wet. Miss Wendy, by herself, sometimes with the assistance of others, most times without, was charged with restraining and managing mentally ill patients for 40 years. 40 years she was a psychological nurse, specially trained to handle <clears throat> mental patients. 5'3", 115 pounds. And she never killed a patient when she restrained him. There are nurses and medical professionals across this country that are trained in how to properly restrain a person. And they deal with messed up 
250 pound maniacs regularly. They deal with people twice their size, three times their size, five times their body mass. Insanely whacked out on God knows what, plus their own internal demons pushing at them. And they don't suffocate people. They don't kill people by restraining them. They're trained properly. What if all it took was training? We all know that it takes more than training. It takes compassion. Nurses, people in the medical profession, are supposed to serve. There's nothing in their creed that says protect. All right, so I'm going to give you some stats. You ready to listen to this guy? The main problem with using individual cases where black men and women have been killed by cops to conclude that there's an epidemic of racist police violence in our society that you can find nearly identical cases of white suspects being killed by cops. And there are actually more of them. In 2016, John McWhorter wrote a piece for Time magazine about this. And here's a snippet of what he wrote. Quote, The heart of the indignation over these murders is a conviction that racist bias plays a decisive part in these encounters. That has seemed plausible to me. And I've recently challenged those who disagree to present a list of white people killed within the past few years under circumstances similar to those that so enrage us in cases such as what happened to Tamir Rice, John Crawford, Walter Scott, Sam DeBose, and others. End quote. So McWhorter issued that challenge, as he said, and he was presented with the cases. But there's no song about these people admonishing us to say their names. And a list of white names is longer. And I don't know any of them, right, other than Tony Timpa. I know the black names. That's the guy we just watched. In addition to the ones I just read from McWhorter's article, I know the names of Eric Garner and Michael Brown and Elton Sterling and Philando Castile. And now, of course, I know the name of George Floyd. And I'm aware of many of the details of these cases where black men and women have been killed by cops. I know the name of Breonna Taylor. I can't name a single white person killed by cops in circumstances like these other than Tim. Unless you've been watching Backstory Podcast and been hearing about people getting shot with fanny packs in their hands and houses torn down around. 114 rounds through the trailer. Right. So let, let's keep going. And I just read McWhorter's article where he lists many of them. So this is also a distortion in the media, right? The media is not showing us videos of white people being killed by cops. Activists are not demanding that they do this, right? I'm sure white supremacists talk about this stuff a lot. Who knows? But in terms of the story we're telling ourselves in the mainstream, we're not actually talking about the data. All right, so Reigns, how many people do you think die annually at the hands of the police? I'm talking about from Tony Tempa 
uh, George Floyd down uh, up to shootouts at a bank robbery. I believe it's around twenty four thousand. One thousand. So let's hear how that breaks down. Unlethal police violence. So back to the data. Again, cops kill around a thousand people every year in the United States. Oh, About twenty five percent are black. About fifty percent are white. Now, the data on police homicide are all over the place. The federal government does not have a single repository. For now, that's something that has to change. I mean, we keep up with how many cops get killed, right? But we don't keep up with how many suspects are killed by police officers. Seems counterintuitive. For data of this kind. But they've been pretty carefully tracked by outside sources, like the Washington Post at least for the last five years or so. And this ratio between black and white appears stable over time. And again, many of these killings are justifiable, right? We're talking about career criminals who are usually armed and in many cases trying to kill the cops. Those aren't the cases we're worried about. We're worried about the unjustified homicide. Now, some people will think these numbers still represent an outrageous injustice. After all, African Americans are only 13% of the population. So at most, they should be 13% of the victims of police violence, not 25%. And any departure from the baseline population must be due to racism. Okay, well, that sounds plausible, but consider a few more facts. Blacks are 13% of the population, but they commit at least 50% of the murders and other violent crimes. If you have 15% of the population. Did you get enough of that? Yep. So you, you, you see what I'm, you, you see where the guy's coming from. Even the, the premise of the Black Lives Matter movement doesn't appear to be based in fact that a disproportionate number of black suspects being taken into custody are killed by law enforcement. Just, just not true. Well, I don't know about those statistics, but I know one thing. If you're black and you're walking down the street past a certain time of night, you're more likely going to get picked up than a white person. And no, uh, no, 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 let me say this. Th this, this article also says that police are 17 times more likely to go hands-on a suspect okay so so don't think that i'm discounting the the fact that there there that there may be a difference in how people are treated from one department to another in certain places let me tell you what if i was a cop in chicago and i was wanting to talk to five or six suspects on a street corner late at night i'd probably ask them to move over here and stand where I can see them and, and that kind of thing. Now, I don't know about you. And um, let me let me say one more thing that uh, I don't know if anybody else has considered this. It's not the cop's job to be Bruce Lee. Do you agree with that, Reigns? Of course. And anytime you put your hands on a law enforcement officer who has a gun on their belt, that gun is in play in their mind. You agree with that? 
it, uh, to a degree in there in, in most cops mind yeah uh, well i mean it, it would be in mine i'm just saying so uh anyway um anybody want to revisit ferguson not me got out of control again another police car set on fire and I sat down with the man in the middle of the call, Officer Darren Wilson, telling his side of the story for the first time. I used my door to try and push him back and yell at him to get back. And again, he just pushed the door shut and just stares at me. And as I look back at him, all of a sudden, punches start flying. He, he threw the first punch? Yes. He threw the first one and hit me in the uh, left side of my face. I just know there was a barrage of swinging and grabbing and pulling for about 10 seconds. At some point, he was actually in the car physically. Like, he had ducked his head and came into the vehicle with me. Where's your gun at that point? I keep it on my right hand. Mm -hmm. I take it out, and I come up, I point it at him. And when I said it, I said, get back, or I'm going to shoot you. And then his response, immediately, he grabbed the top of my gun. And when he grabbed it, he said, you're too much of a to shoot me. And while he's doing that, I can feel his hand trying to come over my hand and get inside the trigger guard and try and shoot me with my own gun. Wilson got off two shots in the car before Brown started to run. And after I fired that shot, I look over. He's running. It went off that time. It did go off that time. He starts to run, and I see the dust cloud behind him. And I'm like, okay, I missed. That was the round didn't hit him. Then I go to exit my car. And when I'm getting out, I use my walkie, and I say, shots fired, send more cars. And I start chasing after Michael Brown. You described Michael Brown when you saw him in that moment in the car as a demon. Do you know where that word came from? Do you know, it, 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 what were you seeing at that moment? It was just such a high level of intensity and aggression and anger that it was almost unfathomable to even see it. Like, how is this happening? Like, it was shock. And you're positive. You're positive you'd have that exact same reaction if you were white. Yes. Some you believe him? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's the only one left alive to tell the story. <clears throat> yeah. So let me throw this. Let me throw this out there. I see what you're saying, and I get where you're coming from. What if Michael Brown had been in Great Britain? What if that had happened in Wales? Good. Point. What if that had happened in Ireland? What if that had happened in France? What if that had happened in Sweden or Denmark? Or he wouldn't Poland? be dead. He wouldn't be dead. Nope. That's a fact. Because police officers in the United States are taught when the shit hits the fan, go to your gun. I don't disagree with that. That's and why you. so many people in this country die. That's why there are so, you know, if you took the, the gun culture of this country is a huge part and we're not attacking that now, but historians will attack it in the future. It's not just a militarization of police. It's the way that they're taught and the way that they've been taught since the beginning of this country's founding. It's like you've got to have a weapon to even the odds. Go to your gun. Slap iron. 
That's the only way to equalize it. I hope not. So How about we say, just train the cops? We'll, we'll get there. Let's let's uh let's see what's going on across the pond. Thank you so much for your time. To see people tearing down statues of people who uh, made money in the slave trade is that understandable? Well, I, I thought it was rather sad to see the mob uh, take the statue of uh, Edward Colson in uh, Bristol and uh, presumably carry it to the water's edge and tip it over. But the first thing, it's a work of art, isn't it? Uh, you should think twice about doing that. Then perhaps you go to the art gallery and you see somebody whose politics are you don't like and you... So... They're uh, get they're taking they're taking it out across the pond too. And, There's a uh, lot of. I got another one for you, Rain. Protests around the country grow. A statue of Theodore Roosevelt on display outside of New York City's Museum of Natural History for decades will be removed. President Trump objecting to the move on Twitter, writing this: "Ridiculous! Don't do it." Lee, I I know that this comes at a time when people taking it upon themselves to vandalize statues across the country, pull them down. Well, do you have a position on that one? Yeah. In every war, there's casualties. And if the biggest casualties of this systemic racism examination and dissection in this country are bronze statues tear them all down because I'd rather see a statue come down than one more person be a victim of systemic racism in this country I don't care what the statues of tear the if someone wants to tear down the statue of Orville Redenbacher <clears throat> I'd rather see that then see another person getting kneeled on on their neck for eight minutes and 49 seconds. How about old Andy Jack? Well, You're missing my point. I don't care. They're just statues. You can call them works of art. You can call them whatever you want. But I'd rather see a statue torn down than a 17-year-old black kid in Georgia. I'd rather see a statue torn down than my Hispanic son getting bounced off a hood. I'd rather see a piece of art denigrated and torn down so the message gets out. You goddamn right. Tear them all down. If you think for one second if that you think what's for one second that tearing a statue down is going to do uh, is going to do anything uh we got bigger problems than but than it doesn't we can matter. It doesn't matter if it forwards the message, if it leads to the leaders of this country doing something about this. The tear them all down. Who cares? You could rebuild a statue. You can't take back a life. You can't just exercise. 200 years of systemic racism in this country? Fuck the... Pardon me. Forget the statues. Let them all come down. 
Let all the memorials be destroyed. I'd rather the Greeks corner the market on marble once again <laughs> than endure another day of the systemic racism in this country. It's just, it's just more fluff. It's just more something else to talk about. All right. Well, I'm gonna tell it's you why. More of a I'm gonna tell you why it matters. Narrative in the wrong direction. And we're we're gonna talk about this for a sec. I'm Greg Wasikoff. I'm a retired professor of anthropology at the University of South Alabama. And I did some archaeology out here at uh, Fort Mims site about 10 years ago. This is the uh, site of Fort Mims. Uh, it was a major battle, uh, the beginning battle of the Creek War of 1813. And on August 30th, uh, some 725 or so Red Stick Creeks attacked uh, the settler fort, which is filled with about 450 or so uh, local people as well as um, uh, some militia from the Natchez area. And in the course of about a half a day battle, the fort was destroyed by fire and uh, most of the uh, occupants either killed or captured and some 20 or so escaped and considerable loss of life to the rest of the force as well. But uh, this uh, was a major defeat for the U.S. military. It's one of the, one of the very few situations where uh, a, a manned, defended fort was overrun by American Indian forces. And so a major victory for the, uh, for the Indians, and it led then to about nine months of very bitter fighting uh, known as the Creek War, which ended up uh, at the Battle of Horseshoe Bend in a massive defeat of the Red Sticks and uh, the loss of about 21 million acres of land to the U.S. Uh, during the treaty uh, that, that occurred later that year. Basically, the, the main connection between the battle and uh, the eventual establishment of the Porch Creek Indians is the fact that there were uh, reserves given to Creek Indians who had, who had sided with the Americans during the war, during the Creek War. And uh, two of those reserves were eventually the basis for the uh, reserve reservation held by the Porch Band of Creek Indians today. So without that kind of core land base, uh, that was really the way that uh, the Porch Band were able to uh, help maintain their Indian traditions on up into the 20th and 21st centuries. Uh, but it also gave them kind of a legal presence in the mind of the federal officials who eventually gave them federal recognition. So uh, there's, there's some really strong connections here between the Porch Band and, and Fort Mims. And that'd be why you should care. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about this. In 1814, we took a little trip along with Colonel Jackson down the mighty Mississippi. We took a little bacon and we took a little beans and we caught the bloody British in a town in New Orleans. We fired our guns and the British kept were coming. There wasn't as many as there was a We fired once more and they began to Down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico. What does the Battle of New Orleans have to do with this? Well, what it has to do with is, you know, you're saying take all these statues down, and I want to tell you why I don't want Andrew Jackson's statue taken down. 
because uh, I am not getting in this. I'm just going to patiently sit here and okay, okay. Know. So hey, I, think you're, I think you're, I think you're missing. I think point. you're missing the point. Please, my point it. is, my point is, if a statue gets torn down today, and 20 years from now. A bunch of people get together, a duly elected group of people get together and say, you know what, we'd like to re we'd like to put that statue of Andrew Jackson back in Lafayette Park. Then by all means go ahead. You still want to keep a, a monument to the Chalmet battlefield. By all means, go ahead. It is not the people that fought the battle that erect the statues. Not in the history of anything. Well, I'll just if keep my opinion to my damn self, Reigns. You, I'm certain you're right, Reigns. We should tear yeah. down every statue in this country because the statistics are absolutely wrong. And there is I did not say tear down every statue in this country. I said if a couple of statues come down in the in the fight against systemic racism, I'm okay with it because statues are just statues. We can make more statues. That's my point. When I was in France, right, many years ago, I was in France, and I was up on Normandy, right, because I wanted to see not just, you know, the people that colonized my part of the world came from, but I wanted to see the D-Day battlefield and everything else. And I, I, I toured extensively, just did my own little walking tour, and you get the points of the Atlantic Wall that are just falling apart, and there's bums live in them, and there's graffiti all over them. And I ask a guy, why didn't the French government do anything to, you know, preserve this? And he said, it's pretty simple. Hitler built that. We don't give a shit about that. Let it fall into the sea. We don't want anything to do with that. Now, the Omaha Beach, they take care of that. Statues and monuments are never built by the people fighting the wars. They're always built by people afterwards. So when right. this war is over, when this war is over, if you want to build statues and replace the ones that are lost, fantastic. I'll donate money for it. But if a statue can come down, and instead of somebody being shot with a rubber bullet across the bridge of their nose and losing a hundred IQ points, I'll take it. If we could lose a statue of Andrew Jackson in Lafayette Park that's fully federally in perpetuity to ensure that another Breonna Taylor doesn't happen, I'm for How in the I world can that possibly have anything to do with the other range you're being? Because I would rather than tear down a statue to make things known than have another person get killed over this. It's just brick and bronze to me. Okay, but what I'm saying is you're, you're not addressing the problem. The problem is police training, and you're saying the problem is a bunch of statues. And I don't no, see no, what no, one no, 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 that's, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is in this fight, in this battle, while we're fighting for police training and police reform and demilitarization of police, if a couple of fucking statues get knocked down, I'm not going to raise a big fuss about it. That's what I'm saying. Because statues can get rebuilt. The statues coming down ain't the problem. 
This was a protest near the White House on June 1st. It has been an entirely peaceful protest. It was met by forces with helmets, riot shields, rifles, and tear gas. The authorities here were a mix of police and military. There were Secret Service, Park Police, the National Guard, prison special operations, and local police from a nearby county. But can you tell which ones are the police? If it's hard to tell, it's these guys, by the way. It's because America's police have been looking more and more like troops. Get in the <laughs> so why do American police officers look like soldiers? Why are you here? And where did they get all these weapons? Now, here's what we need to say. This is a Vox video. I usually hold my nose. In the 1980s, police in America looked more like this. The U.S.'s crime rate had been doing this, and President Reagan called for the military to work more directly with the police for the war on drugs. Drugs are menacing our society. We Do we agree the war on drugs was a terrible idea and had terrible ramifications and consequences? Agreed. Common ground. We're back on some common ground. Yeah. We must yeah. move to strengthen law enforcement activities. Congress agreed, and over the next few years passed a series of bills to give police access to military bases and equipment, for the National Guard to assist police with drug operations, for the military and police to train together, and eventually to have the military loan police departments their excess leftover equipment for free. This would become known as the 1033 program. Police departments got assault rifles like M16s, armored trucks, and even grenade launchers. And before long, it started to have an effect. And now we have infrared drones and can intercept telephone calls. Effect on how police police. We can see that in the number of times SWAT teams were used. Departments that had deployed them about once a month in the 80s. Now that is crazy. were using them more than 80 times a year by 1995. Almost all of these deployments were for drug-related search warrants, usually forced entry searches. Brianna Taylor, right? No-knock warrants? Called no-knock warrants. The police were becoming militarized, and people noticed. This 1997 article said it made police look like an occupying army. In February of 1997, two men robbed a bank in North Hollywood, Los Angeles. They had automatic It's Rodriguez brothers, right? Right. Rifles and body armor. The police didn't. They've got automatic weapons. There's nothing we have that can stop them. By the time it ended, a dozen police officers... I see a shit ton of automatic weapons, gentlemen. Do y'all see yeah, that police officer holding a M16? <laughs> yeah, but those were boys were real serious. In the aftermath day. of the shootout, California police demanded they be equipped with assault rifles, like the AR-15. But so did police in places from Florida to Connecticut. And that same year, the 1033 program was expanded, dropping the requirement that police departments use the equipment for drug-related enforcement. Now any law enforcement, even university police, could access leftover military weapons for any reason. A retired police chief in Connecticut told the New York Times, I was offered tanks, bazookas, anything I wanted. 
Because complete records on these loans weren't kept until 2015, we don't know exactly how much equipment was given out in those early years. But we do have data on how much of it police departments still have, from each year it was given out. And you can see a steady growth in the program for most of the 90s and 2000s. And then something happens around here. The rest of our troops in Iraq will come home by the end of the year. In 2011, the U.S. military formally withdrew its troops from Iraq. Reigns, what the hell are we going to do with all this equipment? That meant the military had a lot of equipment and one less war to use it on. So it became available to the police. This is a mine-resistant ambush-protected vehicle, or MRAP. It's among the most controversial equipment given out under the 1033 program. And we know from the data that police departments still have several hundred of them that they got in 2013 and 2014, but none from 2015. That's because in August of 2014, the 1033 program became national news. We just said hands up, don't shoot, and they just start shooting. A police officer in Ferguson, Missouri, had shot and killed an unarmed black teenager, Michael Brown. After now, you see why I say box? We just went over that. Afterwards, the community's protests were met by heavily militarized police who pointed sniper rifles at them as they marched. Tear gas and armored tanks became a familiar sight in Ferguson, Missouri. The police departments around the country have been getting a lot of this type of equipment. President Obama responded with an executive order curbing the 1033 program. We've seen how militarized gear can sometimes give people a feeling like there's an occupying force as opposed to a force that's part of the community that's protecting them and serving them. Two years later, President Trump's administration reversed it. We will not put superficial concerns. Who is that? Jeffrey. Jefferson Beauregard Sessions. About public safety. But by that point, the 1033 program had become a lot less important anyway. This chart shows that by 2016, most MRAPs loaned out by the military went to smaller police departments. That means when larger cities today have MRAPs and other military gear, it's often because they've bought it themselves. And that's because police having military gear and weapons no longer depends on any one government program. It's now a part of how police see themselves. The thing that I think is really important is with that equipment comes a certain mentality. This is Arthur Reiser. He's a former military police officer, former civilian police officer, and now studies. Yeah. So you get the gist, right? Yep. All right, Paul. I had to point beating the dead horse. <clears throat> I'll be well, right. something I'll be local, folks. For, man. Something local, folks, uh, with the rip, uh, report. Uh, first of all, I want to go back to the uh, Lanyap. Uh, there's an article, Independent Analysis. Uh, environmental group releases a film ahead of the coal dash meeting. Now, those of you that don't know, this is up at the Perry steam plant. This is about a $6 billion project that uh, Alabama wants to, Alabama power wants to do. They have about a 3% rate increase to all consumers on this. And they still are not answering uh, any of the questions about the coal ash at uh, the plant or uh, resolving any of those issues. Um, the meetings that they have 
uh, the one meeting that's coming up is scheduled for Tuesday, June 28th, between 5 and 7 at Steel Creek Lodge in Satsuma. In a statement to Lanyap, Alabama Power said the meeting is the only one scheduled the company has regarding the Berry plant. But there will be additional opportunities for the public involvement and comments through ADEM's permitting process. This is what Alabama Power does all the time. Sneak these things in and then the uh, uh, twinkle just puts a rubber stamp on them. But the coal ash at the Berry steam plant uh, is going to make is going to make the BP oil spill look like chicken feed if that thing ever goes over the banks, I'm telling you. It's going to be, you know, something I was thinking about, Harry. I wonder if they ever contemplated rerouting the river. You know? I don't know. Uh, you know, they, they did go up in the Delta uh, years ago and cut some of the bends out of the of the river for navigation purposes because barges couldn't make the turns. So I know well, that's possible, but it would be. We ought to, we ought to ask uh, Kane with uh, Baykeepers. Baykeepers is on top of this, and uh, for whatever it's worth, they don't pay them any. Alabama Power doesn't pay anybody any attention. They have the politicians in their pocket, the public service commissions in their pocket. Uh, very typical of uh, Alabama politics. And then when that plant, God forbid, spills into the Delta, uh, then we'll all be second guessing ourselves why we didn't do anything or listen to some of these environmental groups. Um, the other thing I got is the Paula Donardi case. You know, that's been rocking along and about, uh, I guess, that Paula Donardi McSherry case. And uh, about three, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, the city attorney for Fairhope said that <clears throat> the mayor and uh, the attendants there, me and included, did not understand the law and that he was simply going to refile all the charges. And uh, that has not happened. There's been no refiling whatsoever and uh, no explanation. We have a uh, attorney that sits on the council. He said nothing about this. Same attorney sat on the council when they had to go to federal court over uh, restricting public participation. So just two more reasons why this council really needs to go. The uh, last thing I have, and we did this on the RIP report, um, the last one was, where the hell were you? And uh, it was about the articles, the pro and con articles from uh, the mayor and uh, Mr. Raines uh, last uh, week. And then um, there was another article that came out uh, this Wednesday that says back to the drawing board and um, Fairhope reopening public participation on proposed park project. Well, the public participation for the project is planned, has been planned. And all I'm asking people in Fairhope to do is to keep an open mind. This is a, a BP grant that the city got for $6.3 million. Nobody on the Eastern shore got this except us. And we had to work on this for quite some time. Uh, in 2017, uh, the city of Fairhope hired Mr. Richard Johnson for public works. 
uh, he was there today and he said one of his very first meetings uh, after being hired was being called in and saying, this is what we got to do. We have to do some revamping down there and, and this is where we're going. And then uh, <clears throat> finally the money was uh, um, available to put $500,000 down. That's what people in Fairhope need to understand is that if you're listening to councilmen now that are saying that they have a problem with this project, it's purely political because of the election because they voted to spend a half a million dollars to get where we are now. So, you know, if you want to ask them something, ask them why in the hell they voted to spend $500,000 on uh, something that later on they were going to second guess. Now, when you look at the drawing, one of the most amazing things to me that I understood was that when you look at it, the right side is going south and the left side is going north, okay? Many people completely misinterpreted the drawing and thought all of the bluff renovation and restoration was on the north side of the property. It's not even on the north side. It's on this south side where there's very, very little bit of the cliff that is uh, left. And if you look down in the front around the fountain and the fountain is like uh, 50 years old and costing an enormous amount of money to try to keep maintained and think it is really 50. The walls are going on it. So, you know, something's got to be done in that area anyway. But if you look at down around the fountain, you'll see the green areas there. And then you'll see the park areas over on the far right. Well, that's adding a tremendous amount of green space for uh, people to sit and enjoy the sunset, the beach, anything that's going on down there at the time. Um, because right now, you know, the population in the last five or 10 years, no, about 10 years has doubled. Okay. <clears throat> so we need more room down there anyway. This would be, this, nothing has been done on this park here for over, I, I've been here 25 years, nothing's been done. So how anybody can say that they don't want to do anything, you know, uh, defies logic. Now, beginning in October of 2019, uh, well, in February 1st, it was, it was mentioned, this last February was mentioned in the State of the City meeting about the waterfront project. And then October 3rd of 2019, there was a survey that had 570 participants, 493 filled out the entire respondent category and one of the things that they pointed out the most that they wanted to see was the beach and you see the beach area there one of the things that i'd like to point out about the beach area is um uh the same company goodwill mills and kwood they're the ones that came up with this uh preliminary master plan and let me say that these gentlemen live in fairhope that that's another rumor that needs to be dispelled that these were people that came from outside and developers and this and that. That's not true either. These people are from here. These people take their families down there to the pier themselves. So they're very uh, familiar with it. Uh, at the end of the podcast, we will include a video that was shot by Fairhope Now, Andy uh, Dorman, and uh, we're sharing that off of Facebook. We'll show it in its entirety if you want to see more of the uh, project. Now, the deadline is in April 21st, 21, to have all the permitting done. 
that's what they're trying to do now. But I encourage you, if your question's about the beach, go look at what they did at the Grand because it's a perfect example. The same company did that, uh, uh, did that there as well. Um, let's see the refined concept and will be more community engagement. The community engagement cannot be announced at this time simply because of the COVID, but uh, I encourage everyone in Fairhope pro and con. Uh, this is your park and your peer. Uh, the only thing that I was saying is that some of the criticism is coming from people that are admitting that they have not been to the meetings, that they do not know the facts. They have not looked at a drawing. They have not asked any questions. Hey, and that's unfair. That's unfair. Let me interrupt you for a sec. Yeah. We're coming to the city of Fairhope's municipal pier and beach area. Grant money from the Restore Act and will add much needed stabilization to the bluff and bring a lot of improvements to the popular spot. WKRG.com mobile journalist Blake Brown has a look at what's to come. An artist rendering shows what the Fairhope Pier and the surrounding area could look like once the green light is given. A big change. So. Notice the date on that, and that is and that is not the most recent video that I could find. So th this no, the one that going no, the on, one that, uh, the one that I have, the one I have, Harry, I sent you from Fairhope now. No, no, no. But what I'm saying is this project has been going up. There have been series of meetings. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. patient. Oh yeah, I've gone to two or three maybe even more than that myself. And that's, that's what, you know, that's what's annoying is that you get, you go to these meetings and you participate and then you get in the 11th hour and you have the council that's approved it. And um, then we get pretty close to a municipal election and well, let's just throw up half a million dollars out of the way that we already spent plus a $6.2 million grant, you know, that's nothing to shake a stick at. They'll never have the opportunity to spend that kind of money uh, in that area uh, in the future. And I looked at it today. It would be a huge, huge improvement for the city. Uh, it would be a signature piece. And uh, I hope everybody has an open mind. But if you don't like it, then come to the meetings and say something about it. Okay. But just keep in mind that the 7th of uh, February is qualifications in Fairhope. Uh, I've heard of a young man at the Grand Hotel that is planning on running. Uh, someone, um, uh, I've heard of two or three other people that are thinking about it. So between the 7th and the 21st, you qualify for the election. And on the August 25th is the municipal election. And then, of course, we have the runoff election for the congressional district uh, on July 14th. And please, everybody, vote for Jerry Carl. We're not supporting anybody from Catalyst. The other candidate is Catalyst. And uh, being financed straight out of the uh, Washington swamp. So uh, I guess that's about it, Harry. All right. Well, that kind of does it for me, too. Um, the only thing that I was going to uh, throw in here is that uh, 
you you've you've drank out of this cup before, right, Paul? Uh, yeah. So so Andy Jackson coming down here and uh, kicking these uh, uh, Native Americans out of here. Um, the Treaty of Fort, uh, I believe it was the Treaty of Fort Jackson. Let me see about this. Yeah, you won't the, let it go, Willie Range. No, no, the Treaty of Fort Jackson uh, ceded property to the White Sticks who helped him in that campaign, and that is the land that PCI Gaming now has their casino on. Really? So, yeah. So, Reigns, uh, he actually did something good for our local Native American population. He gave them some land in the Treaty of Fort Jackson. So let's not take a yeah, step. Fantastic. Let's get a let's get a high five from him and the rest of the Cherokee Nation. I'm just saying there's there's lots of reasons not to not to tear his statue down, including the Louisiana Purchase. There's lots of reasons to tear it down too. And as a person of Native American intersectionality. Um, I can understand why why some people wouldn't want his statue up. So I get it. He just right. won't let it. Wasn't gonna let it go, but now I'm done. No. Promises, promises. Prom. I promise you, I'm done. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, so Paul, we've got yeah. municipal elections coming up. When is the last day to qualify, and when is the last day to get an absentee ballot? Uh, I'm not sure on the absentee ballot, but I know the elections are 25th of August and I know qualification is the 7th to the 21st. I've published all that other before, but I don't have that in front of me on the, uh, absentee ballot, which looks like, uh, I did call the city of Fairhope city clerk and ask her what preparations the August 25th municipal elections was taking. And she said she was going, uh, by uh, the guidelines of the secretary of state and they were, you know, socially distant and, uh, masked, et cetera, et cetera. I got you. All right, boys. Well, I certainly appreciate your time. If y'all will stick around when we get done and, um, I will see y'all next time. Thanks for okay. And, and I want to remind them, uh, Harry to, uh, that we'll put that, uh, film up, of the waterfront project explained by Goodwill Mills and Kaywood at the very end of uh, this podcast. Silence. Not internet porn? <laughs> no, that's just porn in another medium. Right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, yeah, internet porn is just a matter of degree, not a matter of yes. does it exist or does it not. Right. Okay. I think it was the most significant event to happen in our species. Kind of amazing when you stop and think about the fact that at that point in time, other than the Native Americans who lived here who were living a nomadic tribal existence, very few people that had the wheel, that had firearms, that had all these things that had already been achieved in the rest of the world had made their way to this place. So now watch. Okay. Here's how it worked. Right. So you're going to hear... So... I, I presume that you have some skepticism of this claim, as most people would, especially the, the Columbus haters who are out there. All right. I don't really have any skepticism <clears throat> about it, to be honest with you. Okay, sense. so let me, let me describe to you why I think this is true. Okay. And then you can tell me whether you, you agree or not. All right. Uh, we are 
hunter-gatherers. We haven't settled down yet, early humans. And we're basically wandering. We're following the herds, all right? And then the Ice Age hits. Well, what is an Ice Age? An Ice Age means it is so cold that when the moisture evaporates from the oceans, goes to the clouds, the clouds go over the land, it doesn't rain, it snows. And the snow falls and then it stays. So the water that had lifted up from the ocean does not return to the ocean. It accumulates on the land. And this accumulation, when it's significant and sustained, we call glaciers. Glaciers is not itself a snowfall. It is compressed snow that's basically changed state into this, this ice river that flows very slowly back to the ocean. But the oceans are getting drained faster than they're getting replenished. So during the Ice Age, the ocean levels dropped, exposing the Bering Strait land bridge between Asia and what is now Alaska, basically North America. The, the, our ancestors who come out of Africa go into Europe. Some stayed. Others kept wandering. Some stayed low above the Mediterranean. Others went high. They populate Asia. They keep walking because there's a land bridge there. They don't even know it's a bridge. It's just more land. So they walk, and they enter North America. And from there, that's kind of the only way you can go is south at that point. The weather gets a little better. The Ice Age ends. The glaciers melt back into the oceans. The ocean's level, ocean levels rise, closing the land bridge, stranding a branch of the human species for 10,000 years. Those humans who made it across that land bridge and spread out into North America, Central America, South America, have only a few families as their parent genetic, as their um, genetic origin, okay? Only, it's like, the, some research says it's like eight family lineages populated the entire North and South American continents. Then the land bridge breaks. Now you have Europe, Asia, Africa, and North and South America, and they know nothing of one another. Two separate branches of the human species. The Vikings notwithstanding, maybe they found, came over, they didn't. I, I'm, they, w even if they did, their influence was near zero relative to the Europeans. So we're talking about influence here. This is a branch. Had this continued, this is how you speciate. This is why the species on Australia, that's why you have mammals there that have pouches, all right? No other mammals do that. They split off and they evolve their own way. Okay. So 10,000 years is not enough to grow three heads or, you know, 12 fingers. But our species is separate. Now, Columbus crosses the Atlantic, makes contact with humans. This is the first time that has happened in 10,000 years. We have rejoined two branches of the human species. We are now one common genetic group. And that genetic crossbreeding now continues to this day. We, we fly to any corner of the world and mate, okay? 
And the mating already began immediately. Yes, there were diseases that Columbus brought to North America, much written about that. Less written is that he brought syphilis back to Europe. First cases of syphilis of 1492. Whoa. And then it they skyrocketed. They got syphilis from the Native Americans? Yes. What, did they have no problem with it? Well, I, I don't know the details of how the physiology of the natives huh. dealt with that or whether it mutated. Uh, you know, I don't, right. I don't, and there may be people who know that. I'm not among them. That's fascinating. But if just look at, you look at the graph of syphilis, reported syphilis cases in Europe. It, it all began 1492 when he came back. Whoa. So wh what I'm saying is this was a hugely significant event, the rejoining of the branches of the human species. Well, yeah, no, I would imagine that that makes sense. That is the most important event then. And by the way, Native Americans, you know, this famous, infamous problem with m metabolizing alcohol, okay, with Native Americans. Mm -hmm. You know who else has that problem? The Chinese. They do? Yes. Really? Yes. Yes. So it's an Asian issue. Well, so who stayed in a So you look at who populated North and South America – after the, you know, before the land bridge. It's whoever was right at the edge of Asia. Right. Then the land bridges. So, so, so Asians and, and North American and, and uh, the natives of North and South America have more in common with each other because of this than most other pairs of groups you might grab around the world. But my point is, obviously, we, there's a lot to blame Columbus for, but he just happened to be the guy who did it first. Europe was coming to the New World no matter what. Everybody was trying to find a, a faster trade route to the Indies. And so if it, would, if it wasn't Columbus, it would have been Arnold Schmednick, whatever. It doesn't matter. Somebody did that. And the rest is, as they say, history. Wow. <laughs>